Chapter Twenty Two of the Combined Maze by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Twenty Two. That was the first and by far the most impressive of their really great scenes. There was no doubt about it. Violet could make scenes, and there was no end to the scenes she made. But those that followed, like those that had gone before, were beyond all comparison inferior they lacked vehemence vividness intensity after that first passion of resentment and revolt violet declined upon solemnness and flat monotonous reproach ransome put it all down to her condition he set his mouth with a hard grin and stuck it he told himself that he had no illusions left that he saw the whole enormous folly of his marriage and that he saw it sanely as violet could not see it without passion without revolt without going back for one moment on anything that he or she had done he saw it simply as it was as a thing that had to be she being the more deeply injured of the two must be forgiven her inability to see it that way he had done her a wrong in the beginning and he had made reparation and it was not the reparation she had wanted she had never reproached him for that wrong as many women would have on the contrary he remembered how on the night when it was done she had turned to comfort him with her it had got to be she had been generous she had never hinted at reparation no she certainly had not asked him to marry her but that also it had to be they couldn't help themselves they had been caught up and flung together and carried away in a maze like the combined maze at the poly it was when they had to run to run locked together what weighed on him most for the moment was the financial problem he lived in daily fear of not being able to pay his way without breaking into the rest of his small savings his schemes that had looked so fine on paper had left even on paper no margin for anything much beyond rent and clothing and their weekly bills there had been no margin at all for baby baby who above all ought to have been foreseen and provided for baby had been paid for out of capital so that from the sordid financial point of view violet's discovery was a calamity it was a mercy he had got his rise at michaelmas but even so they were behindhand with their bills that of course would not have happened if he hadn't had to buy a new suit that winter ranny had found out that his bicycle though it diminished his travelling expenses and kept him fit was simply rumination to his clothes it was awful to be behindhand with the bills but if they got behind with the rent they would be done for he would lose granville his rent was not as any ordinary rent that might be allowed to run on for a week or two in times of stress granville was relentless in exaction of the weekly tribute if payments lapsed he lost granville and he lost the twenty-five pounds down he paid for it and granville that scourged him was itself scourged of heaven that winter the frost bound the walls too tight and the thaws loosened them the rain beating through from the southwest mildewed the back sitting-room and the room above it the wind made of granville a pipe a whistle a jew's harp to play its tunes on such tunes as set your teeth on edge ransome said to himself bitterly that his marriage had not been his only folly he should have had the sense to do as booty had done fred had married soon after michaelmas when he too had got his rise 
he and maudie had not looked upon houses to their destruction they had simply taken another room in st anne's terrace where she had lived with winnie and she had kept her job at starker's and meant to keep it for another year or so fred wasn't going to have any kids he couldn't provide for ranny's case had been a warning to him and ranny's case was lamentable that winter after he had paid for his suit they lived almost entirely now on hampers sent from hertfordshire the hampers were no longer treated as mysterious windfalls they came regularly once a week and were shamefully and openly allowed for in the accounts and regularly once a week the young ransoms had their sunday dinner at wandsworth they reckoned it as one square meal all this squeezing and pinching was to pay for a little girl to look after baby in the mornings they had found another and had contrived to keep her for violet though she went on making scenes with ranny was quiet enough now when ranny wasn't there if only baby was kept well out of her way in the autumn months and in the early winter she even had her good days days of passivity days of exaltation and of rapt brooding days when she went as if sustained by some mysterious and secret satisfaction some agreeable reminiscence or anticipation and if ransome never noticed that these days were generally thursdays it was because thursday early closing day in southfields had no interest or significance for ranny and of all violet's moods he found the one simple explanation in her state on the whole he observed the change for the better in his household things were kept straighter there was less dust about and ranny's prize cups had never ceased to shine his socks and vests were punctually mended and baby at his homecoming was always neat and clean he knew that winnie had a hand in it for winnie established at johnson's at the corner was free a good half hour before he could get back from oxford street and as often as not he found her putting baby to bed when violet was out or lying down but he did not know he was nowhere near knowing half the things that winnie did for them he didn't want to know all that he did know made him miserable or pleased him according to his mood of course it couldn't really please him to think that winnie worked for him for nothing but to know that she was there moving about his house loving and caring for his child as he loved and cared for it whether it was sick or well clean or dirty gave him pleasure that when he thought about it too much became as poignant as pain for there was nothing absolutely nothing that he could do for winnie to repay her he did not know that winnie paid herself in a thousand inimitable sensations every time she touched the things that he had touched or that belonged to him that with every stitch she put into his poor clothes her fingers satisfied their longing as it were in an attenuated reiterated caress that to feel the silken flesh of his child against her flesh was for winnie to know motherhood her life had in it the wonder and beauty and mystery of religion all the religion that she knew was in each service that she did for ranny in his house acacia avenue with its tufted trees with its rows of absurd and pathetic and diminutive villas was for winnie a shining walk between heavenly mansions she handled each one of ranny's prize cups as if it had been the holy grail and religion went hand in hand with an exquisite iniquity in all that she did there was something unsanctioned something that gave her the secret and essential thrill of sin 
when winnie made that beefsteak pie for ranny she had her first taste of fearful delicious illegitimate joy for it was not right that she should be there making beefsteak pies for ranny it was violet who should have been making beefsteak pies but once plunged in winnie couldn't stop she went on till she had mended all ranny's clothes and sewed new poly ribbon on all the vests he ran in she loved those vests more than anything he wore they belonged to the old splendid ranny who had once been hers and under it all if she had cared to justify herself under the mystery and the beauty and the wonder there was the sound practical common sense of it all as long as violet was comfortable with ranny she would stay with him but she would not be comfortable if she had too many things to do and if she became uncomfortable she would leave him and if she left him ranny would be unhappy so that the more you did for her the more likely she was to keep straight keeping violet straight had always been winnie's job it always would be and she was more than ever bound to stick to it now that it meant keeping ranny's home together in winnie's eyes the breaking up of a home was the most awful thing that could happen on this earth in leonard mercier established so dangerously near she recognized a possible leader of the forces of disruption when she left starker's for johnson's where as she put it to herself she could look after violet she had hurled her small body into the first breach johnson's was invaluable as a position whence she could reconnoitre all the movements of the enemy but it was a strain upon the heart and upon the nerves and the effect on winnie's physique was so evident that ranny noticed it he noticed that winnie was more slender and less sturdy than she used to be her figure to his expert eye suggested the hateful possibility of flabbiness he thought he had traced the deterioration to its source when he asked her if she had chucked the poly she had what did she do that for well she didn't think she cared much for the poly now it was different somehow at least that was the way she felt about it same here said ranny and she couldn't keep up like she did the running played her out he saw her then a tired indifferent little figure padding through the circles and the patterns of the combined maze padding listlessly wearily with all the magic and the joy gone out of her we had grand times there together he said then do you remember the combined maze she remembered sometimes i think that life's like that a maze winnie a sort of combined maze men and women mixed up together she thought so too violet had got used to winnie's being there she took it for granted as if it also were one of those things that had to be she depended on it and owned herself dependent when winnie was there she said things went right and when she wasn't there they went wrong she didn't know how they had ever got along without her ransom was surprised to see in violet so large a heart and a mind so open for not only did she tolerate winnie she clung he could see that she clung to her like a child she even tolerated what he wouldn't have thought a woman would have stood for a single instant the fact the palpable fact that ranny couldn't get along without her any more than she could and if they could the baby couldn't baby she was dorothy now and dossie cried for winnie when winnie wasn't there she would run from her mother's voice to hide her face in winnie's skirts baby wasn't ever really happy without winnie that was how she had them and she knew it and the two of them simply rode roughshod over ranny in his remonstrances 
what are you doing there winky he would say when he caught her on a sunday morning in the bathroom with baby happy on a blanket at her feet washing dossie's pinafore she would sing out i wish to goodness i could stop you but you can't can he lammy lamb laugh at him then laugh at daddy and the lammy lamb would laugh he knew and they knew that he couldn't stop her except by doing the work for her and the more things he did the more things she found to do that he couldn't do such as washing pinafores so he gave it up and gradually he too began to take it for granted that winnie should be there and she was more than ever there after april of nineteen seven when the little son was born the little son that they called stanley fullymore when he came more and more of ranny's savings had to go he didn't care for he had gone again through deep anguish again believing that violet would die that she couldn't possibly get over it and she had got over it beautifully the doctor said he assured him that she hadn't turned a hair and after it she bloomed as she had never bloomed before she bloomed to excess she coarsened in sheer exuberance and rioting of health she was built magnificently built as they don't seem able to build women now built for maternity you don't think said ranny to the doctor that it really does her any harm for she had tried to frighten him with the harm she said it did her my dear ransom if she had a dozen children it wouldn't do her any harm it was the same tale as before and he couldn't understand it for of the flame of maternity the flame that burned in winnie it was evident that violet hadn't got a spark if she had been indifferent to her daughter dorothy she positively hated her son stanley fullymore she intimated that he was a calamity and an ugly one at that one kid she said was bad enough what did he expect that she should do with two she did nothing which was what he had expected she trailed about the house glooming she sank supine under her burden and lay forever on the sofa when he tried to rouse her she burst into fury and collapsed in stupor the furies and the stupors were worse than he had ever known they would have been unendurable if it had not been for winnie and in the long days when winnie was not there he was always afraid of what might happen to the children he had safeguarded them as far as possible he had engaged an older and more expensive girl who came from nine to six five days a week and saturday morning soon after six winnie would be free to run in and wash the baby and put dossie to bed shamelessly he accepted this service from her for he was at his wit's end as often as not he took violet out somewhere to appease the restlessness that consumed her leaving winnie in charge of the babies winnie had advised it and he had grown dependent on her judgment he considered that if anybody understood violet it was winnie and slowly month by month the breach that winnie had hurled herself into widened it was as if she stood in it with arms stretched wide holding out a desperate hand to each of them everything conspired to tear the two asunder in summer the heat of the small rooms became intolerable ransom proposed that he should sleep in the back bedroom and leave more air for violet and the children violet was sullen but indifferent if you do she said you'll take dossie i won't have her he took dossie the baby was safe enough for all her dislike of it and for all it looked so sickly for it slept it slept astoundingly it slept all night and most of the day there never was such a sleeper he thought it was a good sign but when he said so to winnie she looked grave 
so grave that she frightened him then suddenly the baby left off sleeping instead of sleeping he cried he cried piteously inveterately he cried all night and most of the day he never gave them any peace at all his crying woke little dossie and she cried it kept ransom awake it kept violet awake and she cried too hopelessly helplessly she was crushed by the everlasting irremediable wrong and it was then in those miserable days that she turned on winnie until ransom turned on her it's shameful the way you treat that girl after all she's done for you what's she been telling you there was fright in violet's eyes she'd not told me anything i've got eyes i can see for myself oh you've got eyes have you jolly lot you see but she was penitent that night and asked winnie to forgive her she implored her not to leave off coming and winnie came and went now in pain instead of joy everything in ranny's house pained her violet's voice that filled it pained her and the crying of the little children ranny's face pained her most of all it pained her to see dossie's little cot drawn up beside ranny's bed in the back room they looked so forlorn the two of them so outcast and so abandoned she went unhindered and unheeded into ranny's room tidying it and putting the little girl to bed but into violet's room she would not go more than she could help she hated violet's room she loathed it and she dared not think why one saturday evening in the last week of september ransom had come home late after a long solitary ride in the country violet who was busy making a silk blouse for herself had refused to go with him winnie had laid it down as a law for ranny that violet was never to be left for very long to herself if he wanted her to be happy and of course he wanted her to be happy but if ever there was a moment when he could leave her with a clear conscience it was when she was dressmaking she gave herself to it with passion with absorption he had known her to sit for hours over a new blouse in apparently perfect happiness and to-day he could have sworn that she was happy she had risen of her own accord and kissed him good-bye and told him to enjoy himself and not hurry home she would be all right and winnie had said she would drop in for tea he left her sewing white lace on to blue silk in a matchless tranquillity and he had enjoyed his ride and he had not hurried home for he knew that the children would be all right even if violet's happy mood had changed as long as winnie was there to look after them he rode far out into the open country into the deep dipping lanes between fields and through lands scented with autumn and as he rode he was a boy again never since his marriage had he known such joy and freedom and such ecstasy and speed there was a wind that drove him on and the great clouds challenged him and raced with him as he went he came home against the wind but that was nothing the wind was a challenge and a defiance of his strength it set the blood racing in his veins and cooled it in his face when it burned it was good to be challenged by the wind and to defy it it was good to struggle it was all good that happened to him on that day night had fallen when he returned granville was lit up behind its yellow blinds winnie stood at the open door with the lighted passageway behind her granville in the autumnal dark with the gas turned full on inside it looked all light all quiet flame as if the walls that were the substance of it had been cut clean away leaving a mere shell a mere framework for its golden incandescence so small so fragile so insubstantial was the shell 
that winnie's slight figure in the doorway showed in proportion solid and solitary and immense as if it sustained the perishable fabric she was leaning forward now bearing up the shell on her shoulders she was looking out up and down the avenue that you winnie he said yes i'm looking for vi she gone out gone into wandsworth what did she go for to have a dress tried on i say she is going it there's a girl in st anne's said winnie what makes for her very cheap he sighed and checked his sigh you've been slavin win no why you look fagged out winnie's face was white under the gaslight she said nothing she stood there looking out while he propped his bicycle up against the window-sill he followed as she turned slowly and went through the passage to the back room kids asleep yes fast she went to the dresser and he helped her to take down the cups and plates and set the table for their supper in all her movements there was a curious slowness and constraint as if she were spinning time out thread by thread it was five and twenty past eight who's that for she asked as he laid a third place at the side well i should think it was for you she started ever so slightly and stared at the three plates as if their number put her out in some intricate calculation i must be going she said not you not much she submitted moving uneasily about the place but busy folding things and putting them away he ran upstairs to wash she could hear him overhead splashing rubbing and brushing when he came down again she was sitting on the sofa with her hands clasped in front of her her head bent her eyes fixed gazing at the fire i suppose we've got to wait for vi he said oh yes they waited i say it's a quarter to nine you know he said presently hungry ran my word i should think i was just you think she's gone to mother and had supper there she might have well then let's begin come along she shook her head there was a slight spasm in her throat as if the idea of food sickened her what's the matter nothing nothing i'm all right i don't want to eat anything that's all i must be going soon you're tired out win you've got past it tell you what i'll make you a cup of tea no ranny don't i'd rather not she rose and yet she did not go he had never known winnie so undecided then suddenly she stooped on the floor of the hearth rug she had caught sight of some bits of blue silk left from violet's sewing with an almost feverish concentration of purpose she picked up each one of the scraps and snippets she threw them on the hearth slowly deliberately spinning out her thread of time she gathered what she had strewed she gathered into a handful the little scraps and snippets of blue silk powdered with the grey ashes from the hearth and dropped them in the fire watching till the last shred was utterly destroyed there was a faint cry overhead and ransom started up the cry or his movement clenched her resolution i'll go ranny she said and as she went she drew a letter in a sealed envelope from the bosom of her gown and laid it on the table vi said i was to give you that if she wasn't back by eight it's nine now he stared and let her go he waited he was aware of her footsteps in the front room upstairs of the baby crying and of the sudden stilling of his cry then he opened the letter he read in violet's tottering formless handwriting dear randall this is to let you know i've gone and that i'm not coming back again 
i stuck to you as long as i could but it was misery you and me aren't suited to live together and it's no use us going on any more pretending if you'd take me back to-morrow i wouldn't come i can't live without leonard mercier nor he without me i dare say you know it's him i've gone with we're awfully sorry for all the trouble we're bringing on you but we couldn't help ourselves we were driven to it i've been off my head all this year thinking how i must do it and all the time being afraid to take the step and ever since i made up my mind to it i've been quiet inside and happy which looks as if it was meant and had got to be you needn't blame leonard he held off till he couldn't hold off any more because he was a friend of yours and didn't want to hurt you it was really me made him it's a tragedy but it would be a bigger tragedy if we didn't for we belong to one another and he's taking me to paris to live so as nobody need know anything about it he's got a post in a shop there and we're starting on a saturday so you can have sunday to turn round in you'll forgive me ranny dear it's what i've always told you you shouldn't have married me you should have married a girl like winnie she was always fond of you it was a lie what i told you once about her not being i said it because i was mad on you and i knew you'd marry her if i let you alone so you can say it's all my fault if you like yours truly she had hesitated with some erasures over the form of valedictions vi there was a postscript you can do anything you like to me as long as you don't touch leonard it's not his fault my caring for him more than you and in a small hand squeezed into the margin he made out with difficulty two more lines you needn't be afraid of being fond of baby there was never anything between me and leonard before july of last year he did not read it straight through all at once he stuck at the opening sentence it stupefied him even when he took it in it did not tell him plainly what it was that she had done besides going away and not coming back again it was as if his mind were unable to deal with more than one image at a time as if it refused to admit the hidden significance of language realization came with the shock of the name that struck at him suddenly out of the page in a flash that annihilated the context the name and his intelligence leaped at each other and struck fire across the darkness his gorge rose at it as it would have risen at a foul blow under the belt leonard mercier he saw nothing else he needed nothing else but that it showed him her deed as the abomination that it was if it had been any other man he thought he could have borne it for he might still have held her clean as it was the uncleanness was such that his mind turned from it instinctively as from a thing unspeakable he closed his eyes he hid his face in his hands as if the two had been there with him in the room and still he saw things there rose before him a sort of welter of grey slime and darkness in which were things visible things white and vivid yet vague broken and unfinished because his mind refused to join or finish them things that were faceless and deformed like white bodies that tumble and toss in the twilight of evil dreams these white things came tumbling and tossing toward him from the grey confines of the slime urged by a persistent and abominable life they were borne perpetually on the darkness and were perpetually thrust back into it by his terror he turned the letter and read it to the end to the last scribble on the margin you should have married a girl like winnie diamond it was a lie what i told you once about her you needn't be afraid of being fond of baby there was nothing evocative 
nothing significant for him in these phrases not even in the names his mind had no longer any grip on words the ideas they stood for were blurred they were without form or meaning they rose and shifted like waves and like waves they disappeared on the surface of the darkness and the slime he was roused from his sickening contemplation by a child's cry overhead it came again it pierced him it broke up the horror and destroyed it he woke with it to a sense of sheer blank calamity of overpowering bereavement his wife had left him that was what had happened to him his wife had left him she had left her little children it was as if violet had died and her death had cleansed her when the child cried a third time he remembered winnie he would have to tell her End of chapter 22 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine